1: Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto, and if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us.
0: And just one final heads up before we get into the show, this podcast contains general financial information only.
1: Hello and welcome everyone to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Campbell, and today I'm joined by Sarah Scullyleaf, who is chatting to me from Bali. Sarah is the founder of Collected Insight, an education platform that helps people overcome problems that stop them thriving and living their ideal life. She helps people struggling with issues like imposter syndrome, people-pleasing, perfectionism, setting boundaries, and making career changes. I can't wait to share this conversation with you today where we discuss everything from living a life with intention, which we talk about all the time on the podcast, especially when it comes to our money, and prioritizing our own health and well-being. Let's get into it. Sarah, welcome onto the Australian Finance Podcast today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Now, you've gone through some really big life changes over the past few years, and we've met a couple of times over the last few years, and you've always got a few interesting stories and adventures up your sleeve. And one of the things that happened for you is that you realized at some point along your career and your life journey that... You weren't really as happy as you wanted to be. And I think this line's from your website, but uh, it stuck out to me because you had everything you'd ever wanted and nothing that you needed. What was this journey like for you? What was this point of realisation that maybe there was something else you wanted out of your life?
2: Mm. Yeah. So a brief bit of background, I guess, is I spent a lot of my career working in the legal industry and then I spent about four to five years over that 10-year period working as a corporate lawyer. And by 30, I'd had every kind of milestone that I had ever set for myself. So I had, you know, the successful prestigious career. I had a good salary. I had a six figure investment portfolio. I had this beautiful white picket fence relationship. I had lifelong friends and I was just the most unhappy, miserable version of myself that I had ever been. So I woke up all the time with low energy. I felt exhausted. I felt overwhelmed. I just watched myself as the years went by losing my zest and vibrancy for life. And I think what a lot of people don't realize as they get older and they learn more about themselves and their likes and dislikes is a lot of the things that we set for ourselves and the goals that we set for ourselves, we set at quite a young age. And so I genuinely believe that I wanted these things. I really believed I wanted a career in law that I wanted this white picket fence relationship, that I wanted to buy a house and have a family and all of these things. But once I had all of those things, I realized that it really wasn't what was actually making me happy. It wasn't something that was going to bring joy to my life. And so over the period of about 12 months, I basically for lack of a better metaphor burnt my life to the ground <laughs> so i left my career i left my relationship i booked a one way ticket to bali and i just spent a lot of time studying and learning and really focusing on what are the things that make me happy how do i truly measure success in my own life and what does that look like and now i live permanently in bali but i'm also quite digitally nomadic so i travel a lot i run my own online business all of these things that are very different to the life that I thought that I originally wanted.
1: Yeah, it's quite a difficult conversation to have with yourself and people around you. If you have all those external metrics of success, which many of us are probably working towards buying our first property, getting a relationship, having a good job where we're achieving those milestones and getting to that point where you go, okay, this is, it might look great on the outside, but inside it's not quite what I wanted. And even like, how do you have those conversations with friends and family? Because I think People will look at you and go, but your life's great. Why are you not happy?
2: I learned a lot through trial and error. But the one powerful thing that I've really learned is to go internal before you go external. So you have to have a lot of strong conviction around the type of life that you want and the things that you want before you let other people in. Because often when we're trying to process and work out what we want, we go external. We ask our friends, our family, our coworkers, you know, in the kitchen you know, countertop kind of thing. Like we're just always kind of sourcing information and that leads to a lot of overthinking, rumination, staying stuck in the same cycles and also internalising what other people think. So my conversations now with people look like, hey, I've booked a one-way ticket to Bali. We'd love to see you before I leave. (laughs) As opposed to, oh, I'm really unhappy. I don't really know what to do. I'm kind of thinking, maybe I'll go spend some time in Bali. Like, what do you think? What would you do? So the getting really clear on what you want internally and having conviction around those things before you go external for opinions, advice or telling people.
1: Mm, That's a really interesting way of looking at it. And I know something you talk about a bit, especially on Instagram is those signs that you're living your life on autopilot, because there's so many things we just do on a day-to-day basis. And some of them are great. Like, Yes, sleeping for eight hours is a great thing to do every night, but there's a lot of other things we might be doing and never actually considering them and they might not be great for us. And Do you have any insights into like what are the warning signs that we might be living life on autopilot and there might be more for us?
2: Yeah, I think it's really useful to understand that struggle doesn't necessarily mean some kind of existential life crisis. It doesn't mean hitting rock bottom. A lot of the time, if things are really bad, that's when we actually make change. So a lot of the times when you want to be looking out for being on autopilot is when things actually aren't that bad, but they're not that great either. So maybe there's a feeling that you want something more in your life, but you don't know what it is. Maybe you kind of find yourself clock watching at work. You can see yourself kind of going through the same routine, the same motions of life, but you're losing that energy, zest, vitality that you used to have. And I always kind of laugh at the analogy of, I say that you're, if you're in a relationship with the days of the week, that is a pretty strong indicator that you're on autopilot. So that looks like, you know, that classic Monday, Monday Monday-itis. They're like, oh, I've got to go to work. And then Tuesdays, either can be a little bit easier because Monday's under the belt or you're still like, oh, it's like so early in the week. Then Wednesday is hump day. There's all of these terms and things around these days, right? So it's like you're at the hump of the week. Then Thursday, you're like, oh, we're like almost there, but not quite. And then Friday, TGIF, thank God it's Friday, you know, Friday afternoon, sinking some beers with coworkers. You know, Saturdays, you might sleep in, socialize with friends. Sunday is the same, bit of life admin, and then you get to Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, and you're in Sunday scaries. And then you've got to repeat the same cycle again. So if that's resonating, if you feel those ways through the week, that is a pretty strong indicator that somebody is on autopilot.
1: Mm, And when I heard you use that example for the first time, when I was listening to you on another podcast a few months back, it really stood out to me because I don't feel that way anymore but I have felt that way in the past. And so I took that as a really positive sign that I'm not in a relationship with the days of the week anymore, but I think it was a good way of, because often you can't describe that feeling that you have that, oh, it's Sunday. Oh no, it's Monday. Oh, it's Friday. But it's hard to actually articulate what you're going
2: through. Mm -hmm. It's that expression. If you have a problem with Monday, you don't have a problem with Monday. You have a problem with your life. And, we spend so much time at work; it's not normal, even though it feels like it, because a lot of people are in the same boat. It's not normal to be clock watching and counting the days to the weekend, and just waiting till you get a little bit more time so you can do a little bit more of the things that you enjoy. Like we work for far too long, for far too many years, for that to be your life.
1: And if we notice that we are living on autopilot or having that relationship with the days of the week and just staring at the clock uh, from 3 p.m. onwards on the afternoon what are some actionable ways we can start to change the way we're doing things?
2: So the first thing I would always say to any change is self-awareness. So if you're living on autopilot, actually work out where it's playing out in your life. So is it watching? Is it in your friendships? Is it in your relationships? So where is it actually showing up and where have you accepted that this is just life for you now? Do you accept that it's normal to have low energy all the time? Do you accept that it's normal to have an inconsistent exercise regime or to go to bed too late and then the next day constantly tell yourself that you're going to go to bed earlier again? So working out where you're actually going through the motions first and then the second thing is what I like to call a bit of a life audit. So actually looking at the 10 areas of your life and ranking them out of 10 and why. So they're loosely your health, yourself, family, friends, intimate relationships, so partner or dating, your mission work, finances, adventure, hobbies, and then spirituality or purpose. That might have been 11. But most people, what they will find when you're on autopilot is you go to work and then any leftover time goes to Friends and their partner, and then occasionally they'll get some time to themselves. And so, once you can see where your life currently is and where your time is going, then the third thing would be to actually change it. So, you start using that list as more of a values based priority list and actually rank them in order of importance for you. So, if, for example, adventure is one of your number one areas that you prioritize and you're currently not making any time for it because all of your time is going to work, friends, and occasionally yourself, then that's going to be something that is going to very quickly bring a lot of joy into your life, which will then start re-energising you and giving you a bit more of your spark back. But you actually have to know what it is that you need and what you enjoy in order to start changing that cycle.
1: Okay. So would you you have this list of 10 different areas of your life and you would put it in order of what you're prioritising right now and what you would want to prioritise and see if there's a big mismatch there?
2: Yep. Because a lot of that mismatch will also be where you can see if people are living out of alignment and they're not living with balance. For example, you highly value your finances, which I imagine a lot of people on this podcast might, but everything else is a priority above that. Then there's going to be a mismatch in alignment there.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because we've talked about an exercise on the podcast thing of like the 10 things activity and working out what are the 10 things you spend the most money on and what are the 10 things that actually bring you the most joy to spend money on and and trying to see if there's any way you can realign those lists. So I think this is another, this kind of takes that a step further to looking at where you're actually spending your time and energy and attention.
2: Yeah. So rather than a values-based spending list, this is almost like a values-based life list.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll write a list of all those words and put them in the show notes. So if anyone wants to go through and do their own life audit, I think that's a really good idea. And I personally haven't. Even thought about doing that. So I might give it a shot over the weekend.
2: It's also really normal when people start doing it that they might not know. When you spend a lot of time on autopilot and a lot of time not actually consciously thinking about how you're going to prioritize your time, you might not know. So when you look at a list and you go, hobbies, I don't really have any hobbies. That's also just another indicator that you have been living on autopilot and it's time to start trying new things. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So it's interesting that this doing this activity might give you a lot of insights into just like, oh, I don't actually spend any time on this part of my life at all. And actually I want to.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. All right. That's interesting. No, I definitely want to give that a go. And something else that is a reason why these two lists can not align or our time can be completely put in out of whack with what we want to spend it on is having a lack of boundaries when it comes to our time and how much we spend on projects or relationships or if we let our work boundaries expand too much we might be working from 7am to 10pm just because someone asked us to help with this project that we're not really getting paid for but do you have any advice for setting boundaries or maybe even how do we know when we need to set a boundary in our life and maybe how do we do it?
2: Where you find yourself complaining the most is where you need better boundaries. So that would be the starting point, I would say, if you're not sure if you need boundaries or not, but almost everyone has boundary issues in some area of their life. And boundaries are really just the mental, emotional, physical, and financial walls that we put up to protect ourselves. And people that struggle with setting them usually have something in their history. So it might be a codependent household where they weren't allowed to have them. They might be scared or have experienced emotional volatility and hostility in communication. So they're kind of scared to speak up or they've internalized a belief system that they're responsible for other people's emotions. So there's a lot of reasons that people might struggle to set boundaries, but they're one of the most protective mechanisms that we can have to actually have a really joy-filled life. Because if you don't have those boundaries in place, you're not really in control of your life or what you're doing. And so my number one strategy for getting better at building boundaries is what I call to draw a pyramid of boundary setting. So this is going to be different for every person, but at the bottom of the pyramid will be where you find the most ease in setting boundaries. And as you go to the top will be where you find it hardest. So some people might find it really easy to set boundaries in their relationships, but they have non-existent boundaries at work or with family or vice versa. People might find it easy to set boundaries with work, but they have zero ability to set boundaries when they date. And so what you want to start doing, because boundary setting is a skill, is you want to start at the bottom of the pyramid and start practicing and learning that skill set until you get better at it. And a really great example to have at everyone's base of the pyramid is service-based industries. So something like if you go for a massage, asking to change the pressure, you order a steak and it's undercooked, asking for them to cook it a little bit more. And if someone's listening to this and that feels really uncomfortable, you have a problem setting boundaries. (laughs) That would be the starting point. I would say, work out what your pyramid of boundary setting is that you can start working on. And then the second aspect is learning to witness the feelings that come and sit with those feelings after you set a boundary. So know that, especially if it's something that you really struggle with, you have you know a lifetime or years and years of running people pleasing as a pattern. That it's normal to feel guilty when you first start doing it. But learning to sit with the emotion, don't try and distract yourself from it or backtrack from the boundary. A lot of the time, people set it and then they over-explain or they over-apologize for setting a boundary, and you know send you all of the reasons why they need to set this boundary in the first place. You just want to learn to sit with that uncomfortable feeling, and then over time. That feeling of guilt will shift to a feeling of empowerment as you learn to stand up for yourself more. And then eventually it normally neutralizes and boundaries just become a normal thing that you do in life.
1: Mm, It's interesting because I've seen this scenario, like some people in the community have written in about how do they manage when they're trying to save money for a goal, like a holiday or a house deposit. And they really would need to save money and so not go out as much. And then the friends are just like, oh, but you've stayed in the last few weekends. Why don't you come out? And then suddenly, They're out and they've spent a couple of hundred dollars that they didn't really want to spend. And then they feel guilty the next day because they spent that money. But it's that hard balancing act of you want to be part of the friendship and you want to be involved in everything, but you also
2: have these goals you want to work towards. That is boundaries that people need to get better at learning how to do. If it's something that's happening repeatedly with friends, that might be a different thing. But if it's just a one-off on not knowing how to navigate those conversations, newsflash, Most people want to save more money. (laughs) So like if you say to a friend, hey, I'm trying to save for something, I don't want to spend as much. Nine times out of 10, people are going to be like, oh yeah, okay, me too. And if it's about the quality of your interaction, people aren't going to care if you're going out for a dinner that you sit down in Sydney and spend $150 these days. Or if you go for a walk in the park with a coffee. But if it is something that's, you know, over and over and you're constantly saying no to people and you feel like it is becoming an issue in your friendship, have a conversation around it. And then also what can, where's a middle ground? So, okay, you go out and maybe you drive. So you only spend two drinks and you've set the boundary that you're not going to spend, but you're also spending time with friends and then in a situation where you can't keep drinking more or spending more.
1: Yeah. It's really interesting. And when you mentioned before, just those small things like asking for your, your meal to be a bit more cooked or something like that. Like I know a lot of us feel really uncomfortable doing this. Like we don't want to be a hassle. We don't want to be a bother. Like they've already brought the food out. So we may as well just suck it up and eat it, even if it was the wrong meal. Like I know a lot of people who will get the wrong meal, but just still eat it anyway, just not to cause a bother.
2: It's really common, but the thing is service-based, that's why they're such a great place to start because service-based industries, number one, are there to service you. And number two, you're paying for the service. So you have a right to those things. And it is normal when you haven't done it for it to feel uncomfortable. But I've done both of those things in like the last 48 hours alone. I've had to send food back. I've gotten pressure changed at a massage. I don't think anything of it now. And I've never had an adverse reaction to it.
1: Mm, And even those small things might help you build up the confidence to ask for a better deal on your home loan or negotiate big bills and expenses, because a lot of us feel really sort of uncomfortable doing that as well.
2: Yep. It's all about building the skill set, because that's exactly what it is. And at each point, you're learning how to emotionally regulate yourself when uncomfortable feelings come up, because that's why that second part was learning how to sit with it. and. As you start building those skills, that's when you can do the bigger, harder stuff you're talking about, like asking for a pay rise, like asking for a promotion, because you're also normalizing having difficult conversations. And that has a flow on effect when you can build that skill into all areas of your life.
1: Mm, I like that approach and just starting not trying to do the most challenging conversation first, like asking for that pay rise, but actually working up to that point by every day practicing. What are some small ways I can try standing up and asking for what I need?
2: I had a client recently who has never really had a history of setting boundaries and one of the first things that she wanted to do was basically tell her family she didn't want to come over for holidays around Christmas time and I was like, we don't start there. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people, especially in the corporate space, are perfectionist overachievers. So once they know they need to do something, they want to do it and they want to practice it and they want to get perfect at it. But like any skill, you start at a base point and you want to work your way up until you can get to the point where you can do those things with ease because if it's too hard and too challenging and you start with where it's hardest and maybe you have a family member and they react really poorly and there's a lot of hostility and raising of voices all of that stuff is just going to shut you down it's going to shut your nervous system down and you're not going to be able to keep doing it to the same degrees if you just start small.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting talking about this because a lot of the times when we talk about growth and development it's to do with your career like I'm going to do the next diploma that's going to help me get a pay rise or stuff but we don't often talk about personal growth and development in terms of all these internal skills these maybe EQ or emotional intelligence skills that actually make our day-to-day a lot easier and I'd I'd love to know how you approach thinking about personal growth and development and how if someone wanted to build some of these skills how do you even identify What kind of skills you want to work on and how
2: you can learn those things? There's an expression, if you're not learning, you're dying. And I don't know that I would extend it that far, but the expression, like it's a lot. But the expression that I like to use is if you're not learning, you're staying stagnant. So you're staying in the same place because it's the new knowledge, it's the new actionable steps, the shift in mindset. That's what keeps changing and propelling you to something new. So you always want to be learning and you always want to be growing, but you need to work out what it is that you want to be working on. So in some of these conversations, where do you find yourself having the most problems in your life? Is it boundary setting? Is it perfectionism? Is it burnout? Is it lack of being able to stick to certain routines or new habits? So, work out number one, what it is that you actually want to focus your time and energy on. And then it will come down to value based spending. So, you can get a lot of things for free or low cost. You know, there's so many podcasts and books and things like that out there. But if you do really want to kind of up level and really learn, something additional on top of that. that's where you need to kind of have a look at what your money is doing and can you actually direct it there? Because a lot of people struggle to invest in themselves and I don't mean the word investment like we do with kind of assets and but I mean it in terms of improving yourself because it is that intangible emotional aspect that you're talking about. We are like I, I just I think something might happen at the end and I feel differently or I know a little bit different or I act a little bit different, but it's not tangible.
1: You don't get a piece of paper at the end of the, the course.
2: <laughs> no, and this is the thing is that when I first started getting into this, I fell into the trap of needing that piece of paper. When I was interested in exercise and weightlifting, I went and got qualified as a personal trainer. When I got interested in interior design I went and got a diploma of interior design. When I was interested in learning about mindset work and coaching, I went and got qualified as a neurolinguistic programming practitioner. So I've done all of this as well, but a lot of the things that I've learned the most on have not been qualifications. It's just been courses, masterclasses, one-on-one coaching with people. So working out what you actually want to learn and how you can do that aside from a piece of paper and then have an actual you know conversation with yourself around what's important to you. Are you dropping a hundred, $200 on a meal and a couple of drinks with friends, but then not spending $200 on something that could truly be life-changing for you. You know, you change your habits, you change your life.
1: Yeah. Something I find hard about improving all of those, I don't know, Do you call them soft skills now?
2: (laughs) Soft skills, life skills.
1: Well, yeah. Life skills. Not only don't you get the piece of paper, because I can definitely, I feel you on that one. I do like collecting the pieces of paper.
2: (laughs) I've got a lot of them. They collect dust. (laughs) Yeah. It's also
1: that, You don't really have an assessment at the end. Like you don't know if you've mastered that skill. You just maybe get better at doing life and have a more meaningful life. And that's the kind of thing I get stuck on. Like how do you actually measure your growth and development as a person?
2: Are you doing things differently? Do you have more self-awareness? Do you recognize your patterns when you're playing them out? Have you collapsed the time between, say, when you've been emotionally activated and then respond to someone? Are you doing things differently to how you were doing them before? Because if you are, you're growing. Because there's a difference between learning and actually tangible change and difference in your life. And a lot of people get stuck at that learning phase where they consume all of the information, all of the knowledge. But if anything, if you get stuck there, it can make you more unhappy because you have such an increased level of self-awareness. So you know what the problem is, but you haven't actually done anything to shift the behavior yet.
1: Yeah, that's a fascinating one. I know it I've had a lot of conversations with listeners at events and there's there's a big gap between the learning stage of your journey, whatever journey that is, and the action stage. And for quite a while I've had this sticky note in my kitchen that I don't know if it's a quote or someone else's, but it says just because it's hard doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. And I've I've really been thinking about that one because often things feel a bit difficult or a bit uncomfortable, and it's like, oh, is it does that mean it's wrong? But I've found in my own life it's not a good indicator it's the wrong decision because a lot of the hard things lead to the best parts of my life so far. And I was wondering if you have any thoughts on getting out wherever we are stuck in our life, like getting out of that learning phase and into the action phase.
2: I love what you said about just because something's hard doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. And I would also say just because you have conflicting emotions about something doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. So you know, some of the changes that I've made in my life, particularly the decision to move to Bali, I had a lot of conflicting emotions about that. And I mean, polar opposite emotions like sadness and happiness, like loss and gain. you know, like it was this like emotional high roller coaster, but I knew the whole time it was the right decision. So just knowing just because it feels hard or you have conflicting emotions about something doesn't mean it's the wrong decision. Uh, But in terms of the action part, I would almost break it into three parts. So the first part is the human psychology part, so actually getting to the core root of what's keeping you stuck. So what limiting beliefs come up when you think about making change? Why haven't you been able to make change yet? What's actually prevented you in the past? Are you getting stuck because, you know, for example, with investing you think that you need to take the perfect first step? You need to know the perfect first investment to put your money into, So what's actually keeping you stuck? Because if you can't work that out, you're not going to change anything. And then second two is the action component. So what do you actually need to do to create change? And a lot of people overestimate the importance of one big action and underestimate the importance of making small actions on a regular basis. So I always say anything that you want in life, anything you desire, anything you want to do, any change that you want to make, all comes down to a singular habit. And habits are the compound interest of self-development. So the more that you do something, the more long-term compounding effect that that's going to have in your life. So if you want to start investing, how do you break that down into a habit? That might be reading two pages of an investment book a day. If you want to go to the gym, it might be just starting with walking 10 minutes a day. How do you actually break down into an actionable, reasonable step that you can do? And then the third aspect of action, I would say, is having the financial backing to do something. And that's probably more for the non-finance goals that people are going to have in life. But if you want to make big career changes, if you want to move overseas, your life is infinitely easier the more financial support and a buffer that you have, right? Like I didn't just, quit my job, leave my relationship and move to Bali with no money. That would be incredibly reckless. (laughs) It's making sure that your finances are in order so they can support the decisions and the changes that you make. So those would be my kind of three pieces of advice to be moving from the stuck stage to the change stage. Yeah. Why
1: do you think we underestimate those, the value of the small steps so much? Because I see that happen all the time. We just want to go from Not doing any exercise to doing workout five days a week. And we forget about all these small steps in the middle.
2: I think a lot of it is perfectionism, particularly if you're someone that resonates with high achieving. You don't want to put yourself in an environment where you're underperforming. And the idea of just going to the gym for 10 minutes three times a week feels like you're not doing enough. It's not good enough. You could be doing more. It's not ideal. But the key focus here is habit building. And anyone that hasn't read Atomic Habits by James Clear should absolutely read it because it's a phenomenal book. It'll be life-changing for people that struggle with stuff like this, but actually working out where you are now and what's the habit that you want to take to actually make change.
1: Yeah, I love the quote from the book that I'm going to badly paraphrase, but it was like, you, your habits are voting for the kind of person you want to become. And it's those small actions you do every day. They're going to shape the next five or 10 years of your life.
2: Yeah, I think he says something like, tell me what your habits are and I'll tell you the projection of your life. Yeah. So if you looked at your habits right now, where would you be in three years, in five years and 10 years if you did nothing? And those are both positive and negative. So if you have good financial habits, you have a great projection into the future. If you have poor financial habits, we're in a bit of trouble.
1: Yeah. And that can compound against you.
2: Yes, exactly. Against you. And it's the same with any aspect of your life.
1: Yeah. And another area that I I wanted to touch on a bit, because I know it, it definitely impacts me and a lot of my friends and family, is that idea that by XYZ age, we should have achieved this, this and this. And if we haven't, well, we're falling behind. And I was listening to a panel of female speakers this morning and one of the speakers was talking about the fact that she took time out of the workforce to have kids. And so the time that she did decide to re-enter, she saw that so many of her peers that she went to uni and started work with were already like way further on in their careers. And so she had to come to terms with the fact that she made the decision to get out of the workforce. And now she just wasn't at the same place as her peers. And I think that's a, it's a struggle. Like, how do we focus on not comparing ourselves to everyone else? And like, what we want to achieve?
2: The number one starting point that I would suggest is to ask yourself, what does a successful life actually mean to me? If I died tomorrow, how would I know that my life was well-lived? Because we aren't born knowing what we want to do or what success looks like. It's something that we learn. So we internalize that from our parents, from our family, from our teachers, from our friends. And we internalize how we want success to look. And it's how a lot of people end up in a place where they get the things that they want and they're not happy with them anymore. Like right now, whoever's listening to this, you have something that you once wanted and you still want something else. You wanted the job that you're in now at Once Upon a Time. You wanted the money that you're on now once upon a time. If you have a house or you have an investment portfolio, you wanted that once upon a time. And there's still something else that you want now and that hasn't satisfied you or felt enough for you. So what does success actually mean to you? And that should change as you change. Success should be an ever-evolving concept of what it means to you because success to me when I was in my early 20s is not the same to me as what success means now and I'm sure it won't when I'm in my 40s. So for me now, the way that I measure my life for success is do I wake up every day energetic and excited about my life and do I go to sleep feeling content and fulfilled? That is it. And that for me, and I have that feeling every single day, and I'm the happiest that I've ever been in my life. And that will change in the future. But when I was looking to the external things for success, the career, the partner, the money, I wasn't happy. So people have to work out what their internal benchmark of success actually is.
1: I can imagine that's quite a difficult question to ask yourself if you've never thought about it before and you've just been looking at external markers is there where would you suggest people start if they've never really thought about what does success mean to me because it's a it's a big question
2: it is a big question my number one piece of advice for actually most questions that you would probably ask is to spend more time with yourself introspect deeply is one of the greatest gifts that we can give to ourselves. Learning to sit with yourself in silence, again, one of the greatest gifts that you can give to yourself. Because from the moment that we wake up, we are constantly getting stimulation. People wake up, they check their phone, they turn some music on while they have a shower, they listen to a podcast on the commute to work. you're just describing me perfectly here. (laughs) And then it's, it's, emails, it's conversations with work colleagues and maybe you listen to some music on the drive home, you get home, you turn the TV on, you're scrolling on your phone. How are you going to work out what success means to you, what you want to do with your life, what's going to bring you joy if you don't actually spend much time with just you? And so one of the best things that people can do is start cultivating that and how you do that is going to be an intuitive practice that's different for other people. I personally love meditation. Meditation has worked really well for me It might be breath work for some people. It might be what I call a consciousness check-in. So a lot of the time we can listen to stuff like this and be like, oh yeah, that's a really great point. I should do that. I'm going to, yeah, 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 I'm going to do that. And then 30 minutes later when you get to work, someone's talking to you, you've forgotten about it. So actually getting out your phone right now and setting an alarm with a daily reminder that says, you know, consciousness check-in or whatever you want it to say. And when that goes off every day and you've already forgotten it, it's going to remind you to actually check in with yourself. How am I feeling? What do I need right now? How can I give that to myself? And that starts building the practice of introspecting. And from that place, when you have a deeper level of introspection, that's when you can start working out what are the things that you want from your life.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I probably notice that in myself. Like I'm always on go, go, go mode and I do not, I don't really ask myself how am I feeling. I only notice how am I feeling if for some reason I'm really tired or I'm sick or something like that. But I don't Yeah, I probably don't consciously ask myself that question.
2: Because hustle and go, go, go is promoted and what's normalized in our society. But we're not human doers. We're human (laughs) beings. And a lot of people really struggle to just be and to not do. But it's one of the most remarkable things that you can learn to do.
1: Yeah. And if you are someone like me who struggles to be with their own thoughts and just is always listening to the podcast, is always trying to learn something, where would, would meditation be the place you would recommend starting there?
2: Or Yeah, definitely. A lot of people struggle to meditate because of all of those thoughts. They're constant, you know, there's just a lot happening in there and they're like, I can't do it. But one, the aim of meditation is not to have no thoughts. It's literally learning how to sit with those thoughts. And if you sit down and you notice all of these thoughts coming up, they're always there. You just don't notice them because you're distracting yourself. And a lot of people that have sleep issues, whether it's that they struggle to fall asleep or they wake up through the night, it's often because of this and the lack of mental rest that you're actually giving yourself. And so yeah, meditation is a really great starting place for that.
1: Okay. And you mentioned the the questions you ask yourself when you wake up and when you go to sleep for your internal definition of success. But are there any other ways that we can... Check in with ourselves, maybe on a, a, even if it's not a daily, a weekly basis to see if that, if we're living a life that we want to be living. Yeah.
2: I also do a weekly check in with myself. And sometimes that looks like journaling. Other times it's just an internal little self check. And that's around how was the last week? What went well? What didn't go so well? What do I want to do differently next week? what could get in the way of something, of it actually being different next week and what can I do to mitigate that from happening? So just having those increased levels of review and almost auditing what's going on in your life because I feel like we do all of this at work, right? We're so good at goal setting, action <laughs> setting, auditing, reviewing, reflecting, but we, we don't actually do it for ourselves.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's interesting how much time we spend helping other people move forward and not ourselves. Exactly. Yeah. And I know that we've bonded over a love of some similar authors, before (laughs) (laughs) not really finance life, personal development related, but are there any books that have really changed the way you view yourself, view the world around you that you, you would recommend to the audience?
2: Yeah. One of my all time favorite books is The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. And then kind of the intersection of finance and personal development that we've been talking about is Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. I'm sure that's probably been recommended on here before. That's a classic. Yes. And then, yeah, Atomic Habits by James Clear.
1: Yeah, I think Atomic Habits is, I've re-listened to it recently in audiobook form, and you just learn a few little new pieces every time you hear it.
2: Yeah, it's an, it's an incredible book.
1: And before we wrap up today's episode, Sarah, I was wondering if people just take one thing away, if they just write one thing in their notes as a summary of this
2: episode, what do you want to leave people with? Spend more time on your own with no distractions. Yeah,
1: that's, that's, a, that's a challenge too, I reckon.
2: It's an incredible <laughs> challenge, but the thing is a lot of the time we get these niggling feelings about what we want in life or that something doesn't feel right. And we ignore them because we need that tangible, logical reason that, why do I want to leave the job? Why do I want to leave this person? And then when you eventually do it, you're like, oh, I should have known sooner. I should have done it sooner. And you did. You just then suppressed it down and then tried to think your way through to a solution. But the niggling feeling that you get, that's your intuition telling you that something isn't right. And that will only get louder until it's deafening.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Not all
2: of that can be uh, put down in a pros and cons list. (laughs) I don't believe in pros and cons lists. I genuinely think people have a problem and they will stay in analysis paralysis and stuck lists when you get to a pro and con list, because all you're doing is trying to think your way through a problem that you're already overthinking. You need to just spend more time being with yourself in silence and then trusting what actually comes through and what the right next steps are for you.
1: I love it. Well, there's been so many awesome takeaways in this episode. I really encourage everyone listening to write down one thing in their notes that they're going to do following this episode. Are they going to try doing the life audit and looking at those 10 key areas that we'll have in the show notes or even just spending a bit of time with yourself, maybe challenging yourself this weekend. I think I'll put five minutes in the calendar to just complete silence. You time. (laughs) Yes, love it. Uh, And Sarah, if people want to learn more about you and I mean, you share a lot on Instagram and on your own journey and your life in Bali, where should they head to?
2: I mean, socials is always a great place to start. So collected insight on Instagram and I have a lot of longer form content that's coming up as well newsletters, blogs, workbooks, all that kind of stuff that's completely free that'll help people that are struggling with some of this stuff as well. And then I also have a course called Stop Surviving, Start Thriving, which really deep dives into a lot of the things that we've spoken about and actually is the integration of theory and action. And the wait list for that for the next round is now live as well if people want to jump on that.
1: Wonderful. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. So if people want to check out what you're up to and learn a bit more, they can go there. But thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today, Sarah.
2: Thank you for having me. And it's nice to see you again. It's been a little while. Yes, it has
1: been. Well, you'll have to let me know when you're back in the country. Yeah, we will do. All right. Thank you. Thank you.